0: They place the box on the cart. It's their absolute best efforts. We do this all the time in the 21st century, when we want that something special. We do the very best that we can do, and we do it with all our natural strength. The only problem is this. Nowhere during that description does it say that you move it with the army and a new cart. We are in the second session uh, looking at David and his desire to bring the presence of God back into his nation. Now, just a quick recap. David, at this point in his journey, um, has married the king's daughter. He's a handsome young man, great musician, a poet, songwriter. He's got his own cheerleading section. He's a hero. Uh, he defeated Goliath of Gath. Brave young man who has now become king of the whole of the nation, unifying a fractured nation doing that. But it seems that in the midst of all of that, one thing for David is still missing. And the one thing is simply this, that he wants the presence of God back in his nation. Great thing to want. Uh, And it's symbolized by this box. Now, it's a very fancy box. If you ever watched the Raiders of the Lost Ark and Indiana Jones, that's just Hollywood, but very pretty box. But the important thing about this box is on the top between the two cherub and the angelic type figures that are on the top with their wings outspread between those two sat this glowing presence. And that glowing presence is described in the Bible as the Shekinah glory. Now, it's it's a strange word, but it's there. Um, And it describes the physical presence of God so that people have a reference point for him. And that's what David wants, the physical presence of God in his nation. Now, we looked in the previous session about what happened when he started to do this. Now, it's a great desire to have the presence of God with you. That's what I want, presence of God in my life. This is what it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 13. So now listen. So this is David attempting to bring the presence of God back into his nation. David consulted with all his officials, his generals and his captains of his army. We're going to keep stopping at different points because it's pretty important. and We're just going to skip through some of these verses because just want to hit some highlights and you can go back and read the story for yourself and study it. It's a great desire to have the presence of God back in his nation. But I want to ask you a question. Who did David chat about this to? Who did he chat it over with? Because we've just read it right there, right? He, he gets, who did he assemble? Who did he, what group of people did he get together to run this idea past? Well, it tells you right in the beginning in chapter 13, verse 1. That David pulls together all the officials of his army, his generals and his captains, his mighty men, his army, his military leaders, the captains and these mighty guys. Oh, and, and, and as sort of an afterthought. It says this. Um, let's get some Levites and some priests. Let's... Um, Let's invite them to come along and join us. It's like an afterthought tacked on this. Now, why, why does that matter? Well, it, it really matters. Because that's who David is relying on to bring the presence of God back into his nation. His army guys. His mighty men. The strength of his invading force. That's what he's relying on. Then... In verse 7, we read this. Now, now look, I know we're jumping a bunch of verses, but we've got to be quick through this. And I want to leave other stuff for, for you to study yourself. In verse 7, they placed the Ark of God. So, so, this, so this box with, with this glowing presence on the top. They placed the Ark of God on a brand new cart and brought it from Abinadad's house. Uzzah and Ahio were guiding the cart. David and all the people were celebrating and dancing and singing and songs, playing all kinds of musical instruments with cymbals and trumpets. So they got this new cart. They put this new cart together and um, they placed the box on the cart. And again, you think, well, why is that important, Phil? Why are you stopping there at the new cart? Well, it's their absolute best efforts. We've got to understand this. It's their best efforts. It's, it's all their strength, all the best that they can do to bring the presence of God Back into their nation. Now listen. We do this all the time in the 21st century. We do it in our churches. We do it in our lives. We do it in in all sorts of spheres of our society. When we want that something special. We do the very best that we can do. And we do it with all our natural strength. All the things that we've relied on in the past. And that's what David is doing here. He has taken his captains of his tens and captains of his armies and captains of fifties and hundreds and five hundreds. And he's taken all these mighty men. And these are the people that he's always relied on in the past. And he's got a brand new cart. And he places the box on the cart. It's the best that they can come up with. It's their best plan. Their best plan that they can come up with to get the presence of God back in their nation. The only problem is this. Well, there's many problems, but the one I want to look at is this. In Exodus chapter 25 and verse 14, it tells us and it tells the people of their day and it tells David as well. How this box is supposed to be moved. And nowhere during that description does it say that you move it with the army and a new cart. It doesn't say that what it says is that when they build the box they put these rings four rings one at each corner basically and they have acacia wood poles overlaid with pure gold that are longer that stick out either side of the box so that the priests the priests alone with the people who could pick this up on their shoulders without touching the box they're just touching the poles and they can carry this this box with the presence of God on the top of it and that is the way that they are supposed to to move it David chooses not to do that he chooses to use his strength and the might of his army and a new cart now if I was to ask you what is written in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6 I wonder if anybody could come up with that Zechariah Chapter 4, verse 6. Now I've cheated, obviously, because I've looked this up and I've written it in my notes. And this is what it says Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Not by might. And that's what David has done. You see, he's got the best intentions. He truly, truly has the absolute best intentions. But he's done it with strength and might and a new cart. Forget about the new car, but you cannot muscle God, you cannot effort Him up into your presence. You can't just do the best that you can do over and over and over and over again and then try even harder. And by doing that, that human effort, you can't do that. And expect God to be moving in your life. Why? Because oh I want the presence of God in my life. I want it in my household. I want it in my family. If I'm running a business, I want it in my business. If I'm driving my car, I want the presence of God in my car. If I'm if I'm visiting people on vacation, I want the presence of God with me on my vacation. I don't want to leave him at home. I want the presence of God with me in every single thing that I do. As I'm following my vocation, my, my job of work. If I'm a social worker, I want the presence of God with me in my social work. If I'm a nurse, I want the presence of God with me on the ward. If I'm a prison officer, I want the the presence of God with me in the prison if I'm a police officer I want the presence of God with me in my squad car helping me to deal justly and righteously with people if I'm a judge I want the presence of God in my courtroom to give me wisdom to make right godly judgments if I'm a politician I want the presence of God in my government To help me say and do the right things and to lead with wisdom and humility. Uh, If if I'm a local politician, that's what I want as well. If I'm a plumber, I want the presence of God with me. Not just my tools, but the presence of God with me. To do the best that I can do with the tools that I have. If I'm an electrician, I want the presence of God with me. Why? So that I can be the best electrician that I can be. So all of these things, we want the presence of God with us. Not just a church. I want the presence of God with me, but I cannot effort this into being. I can't manipulate God. I can't say, hey, I'll give you a new cart. I can't do that. I can't force him into this situation. I can't can't do that. Because if I do, look where it ends. Look at this. Verse 13. Well, verse 9, sorry. Now, when they arrived with the new cart with the box on top, when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, not Bacon, Nacon, the ox stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hands to steady the ark. And the Lord ang- Lord's anger was roused against Uzzah, and he struck him dead because he had touched. Put his hands on the ark. So Uzzah died right there in the presence of God. Now that seems harsh. It does to me. The guy's just doing his best. But he's actually doing his best in total disobedience to God. You know, You know what? When I try to effort God into my life when I try to plan and cajole and manipulate God into my life it can lead to death now not 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 my death not physical death but spiritual death because then I'm relying on my own strength I'm relying on on my performance to to have God's presence with me now, If I could do it just by performing well, if I could do it like that, then Jesus would not have had to die and the Holy Spirit would not have had to come to earth. But it's clear from the fact that Jesus lived this life and then was crucified, resurrected and went back to the Father in heaven, sent us the Holy Spirit, that we need the Holy Spirit's help and Jesus' life, death and resurrection so that we can actually have the living presence of God with us. Because my best ever efforts don't cut it. My best efforts wind up with spiritual death when all I want is the presence of God in my life. Now David asks the question then. Okay, how, how do I how do I how do I get him? How do I get the presence of God? If, if, well, clearly he can't get the presence of God by relying on strength and a new system. A new system of moving the presence of God. The new cart is might and strength. And let's have a new system. Well, that sounds like us in the 21st century, doesn't it? Like we can, we can overcome everything through human initiative and invent new systems. But then you contrast that again, like we did last session, with how do people then approach the living presence of God here on earth? Jesus, how do they approach him? How do they come up with him? How do they how do they come come to him and not die in their need? How do they do it? Well, in Mark chapter five, we have one guy who who comes running, screaming at Jesus, absolutely stark naked. Screaming out of his mind. Screaming, screaming, running at him. And Jesus doesn't freak out run away. In Mark chapter 10, we have Jesus walking down the street. And a blind man cries out to him as he's walking past. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's not screaming now. He's asking for mercy. That's how this blind man comes to Jesus. In Luke chapter 7, we have a woman coming up behind Jesus while he's sitting at a table and crying. She's weeping and her tears are falling on his feet and she and she wipes his feet clean with her hair. That's how she approaches Jesus. And in, in chapter 7 of, of Luke as well, we, we, have, we have Jesus interrupting a funeral procession as it comes out of a town. He, he stops the funeral procession and walks up and touches a corpse and this young man comes back to life. In Luke chapter 8... We have a woman, another woman, who who sneaks up through the crowd and elbows her way, getting people out of the way. And she reaches through the crowd and she just touches the edge of, of his robes and his garment and she's instantly healed. Instantly, it just happens. In Matthew 9, we have a man being lowered on a mat, a paralyzed guy, lowered through a mat, on a map, through a hole in the ceiling. And in John chapter 11, we have Jesus standing outside a man's tomb who's been dead for four days and shouting his name and coming, calling him back to come out of the tomb and come back to life. That's how all these different people, that's all of them, approached Jesus. But you notice they all did it in different ways. Like where's the system? There's no system. That like they all did it in totally different. You can imagine us now in our churches. Okay, when you come in our church, there's going to be um, we're going to we're going to put some changing rooms on the way in with lockers like like a gym, like a swimming pool. And, and when you come in, uh, you take all your clothes off and you stick them in the locker and then you run to the front screaming because that's how you meet Jesus. That's our new system. Or we'll have a, (laughs) my mind, (laughs) maybe church might be fuller then. I don't know. Maybe you might have more people at church that they think they're going to see a bunch of streakers every Sunday. Who knows? In fact, we'll have an even better system. We'll have hair and makeup in there so that they all look nice. How about that? It's the new cart as well, right? So, So can you imagine going into church and there's a big trap door in the ceiling? And everybody's going there like, what's that? For? Well, well, that, that's in case we in case we have a healing service, in case someone who's sick who wants to be prayed for, they, the only way they can, can do it is to lower them through the ceiling. And just like Jesus did it. in Jesus day. And if, if they land right at the front like that, and if their friends are looking down to the top, then, then they'll get healed. Maybe we should have everybody just milling around in a crowd and, and anybody who wants to get to Jesus should try and elbow their way through and reach out and touch the front of the church. And, and that's, what, that's what we want to do. As human beings, we want a system. And this is what David did. He had a tried and true and tested system. And the tried and true tested system was his army's force and a new cart. But that's not how God had asked him to meet him. But in the New Testament, when the very presence of God is walking around on the earth, all of these different people came to Jesus in all of these different ways and he met them all. How amazing is that? He met them all exactly where they were. He met them. Now, I don't know if this is our church website. I think it is. Come as you are. Why? Because if we come as we are, Jesus can meet us. I don't need to pretend. I just come as I am. But here's the kicker. When you read all these stories about the man being lowered through the ceiling, Jesus didn't leave him the way he came. When the screaming naked guy comes running at Jesus, Jesus doesn't leave him screaming and naked. The next time you see him, he's clothed and in his right mind and he's sitting next to Jesus. Because Jesus cares about us so much that we can come as he as we are, but... He doesn't leave us there. So when you come to Jesus and I come to Jesus, be prepared for maybe two things to happen. One, we will be changed. All the people that came to Jesus were changed and your worldview will be changed and very possibly your physical surroundings and your world will be changed too. When I came to Jesus as the wretch that I was, hopeless wretch that I was, I could only come like that because that's the state I was in. And he met me as the hopeless wretch. (laughs) But he didn't leave me like that. The Bible describes Jesus as this, the first and the last. He's my beginning and my end. He's my first day and my last day in eternity that, by the way, has no last days. So he's my first day and my last in eternity. That's that's what he is. And when he meets me and you, he meets us at the point of our need, but he loves us too much to leave us there. Now, we cannot do this just by systems. We can't do this through might and strength and doing our best. We have to rely on his grace and his mercy and the power of the Holy Spirit transforming our lives. That's the only way this works. Now, we haven't finished with this because David is still trying to bring this presence of God back into his nation. And we've got one more session on this t- together. But today, I just, I just want, want us to understand, I can't muscle this up. I can't do this through human effort. I have to throw myself on the mercy and grace of God and ask him to fill me with the power of his Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter how many new carts and new systems I build. Human systems and new carts just like in verse 9 of 1 Chronicles, chapter 13, human systems and new carts always, always stumble and falter. Always. The power of the Holy Spirit doesn't, and it changes us forever. He bless you, and thank you for, for being here and listening, and hopefully staying awake. I'll be with you and keep you
1: safe. You don't have a ton of things in common with God, but there is one thing. You speak. So does he. God spoke light into existence with his words. I wonder what you could speak into existence with your words this week. I wonder what kind of love you could speak into your marriage that feels like it's in neutral. I wonder what kind of courage you could speak into the heart of a child who's hurting. I wonder what kind of peace you could speak into your broken friendship. What kind of hope you could speak into your own weary soul. I want you to know that the most powerful words you're going to speak this week is probably not going to be on a stage or a conference call or closing the deal with a client that you want. The most powerful words you're going to speak is probably just with one or two people listening, maybe zero. It's totally possible that the most powerful sentence you'll say this week is a thoughtful text message that you send to a friend who's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's the apology email that you finally get the courage to send. It's the whispered prayers through tears in the middle of a dark night. Powerful words. Aren't just for preachers who stand behind pulpits. They're for parents who stand next to bunk beds. And speak life and for kids, for spouses who share hopes and dreams during pillow talk, and not criticism for teenagers. stand up to bullies stand up for the uncool kids your tongue is so small but so powerful your tongue is telling a story
2: Face shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord. Turns Shine upon you and be Be gracious gracious to you. The Lord. Children